Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. again and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. Every week Mark and I join you to discuss trending topics in the wine world. How are you doing this week Mark? How are you Kim? Good to see you remotely again. It's crazy we're not in the studio again. I know still not in the studio. I don't know when we'll be back but uh, hopefully someday we'll be able to uh, do this across across the table from each other and have a glass of champagne while we do it. (laughs) Yeah, we need to get some wine back. We do. Right? We absolutely do. So what's first do. today, Kim? I know you, you, we picked some new things today, right? So We did. So we are, we're working on some new articles for you, our listeners. And the first one uh, comes to you from Wine Enthusiast Magazine. And it is about mold on wine bottles. Sometimes if you store your wine either in a refrigerator or in a cellar, you might find that your bottles have gotten a little moldy. And some people are a little concerned about that. So we wanted to address that issue because I know, at least from my uh, restaurant days, it is something that I see an awful lot of. But I can't imagine you see this too much in a retail environment except maybe in the refrigerator. Yeah, not there's not a lot of wine being stored for a long period of time in a high humidity type setting in retail. But I wanted to ask you, Kim, when I saw this story, when I hear mold in wine, I, I have two different pictures in my mind. Uh, one being like a wine cave that for hundreds of years, these wines are sitting there and they're just disgustingly moldy with cobwebs. Mm-hmm. And then the other image I have is when you pull off the foil on a on a wine, on the cork, you might have some mold. So when you heard this, the topic of the article, what did you think of it was going to be about as far as mold? Mold on the labels, mold on the cork. Yeah, I didn't think about the cork thing. I didn't think about when you pull off the capsule that sometimes your mold, your your cork looks a little funny and might have some, you know, fuzzy green stuff growing on it. Um, my first thought absolutely was the same as yours, where you, you know, sometimes we'll see these pictures of old cellars uh, full of port or full of Bordeaux that have been down there for like 50 years, and they're all covered in like gray, <laughs> dusty mold. Yeah. Um, that was the first Horror thing that I thought of. Horror movie wines is what kind I thought. Kind of, yeah. It's like dank cellars, and you're like, this is a little creepy. But the second one I thought of was actually labels because I've seen a lot of um, moldy labels. And I had heard that that was because a lot of mold spores actually like to eat the glue that attaches the label to the bottle. So I know I've seen a lot of refrigerated wines that um, the bottles themselves are not necessarily moldy, but it's the label that starts to get a little discolored um, and starts looking kind of not so nice. Well, that's interesting. I never heard the glue thing. So yeah. this article started out, Kim, saying the mold develops because of high humidity conditions. Exactly. So you're saying you've heard where just the glue alone without humidity causes Oh, no, mold? no, no. This is like, like in a refrigerator. 
Oh, so okay. in a refrigerated so still environment, humid yeah. infects the glue. Okay, I misunderstood. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that the um, the common denominator for all of these is humidity, um, and that is really what this article tried to get across was that in environments of high humidity, which you want if you're storing your wine, because a, a higher humidity environment keeps the cork from drying out. So it's actually really good for the wine inside the bottle but does create an environment that uh, does lead to the development of mold a lot of the times. So yeah, that seems to be the thing that all of these situations have in common. You know, if you've got an area that is relatively humid, you might get some mold growth on your bottles. Yeah. Now listeners probably be surprised that the humidity recommendation for wine is 50 to 80% humidity, nothing over 80% humidity. I mean, that's that's humid. Yeah, that's pretty humid. Good conditions for wine, though. So I want to get back to the cork issue we talked about first, Kim, before we talk about the labels. When you remove the foil of a wine, the cork underneath, a lot of times you said there can be mold under there. My understanding, Mm -hmm. one of the procedures for the sommelier, you being in the restaurant industry, you pull the foil, they're supposed to have a cloth and clean the cork top, right? Now, is that cleaning specifically to clean off mold or just anything that's on top? I mean, really, I always thought... Yeah, it's really for every for anything that's on okay. there. Okay. So yeah. if there was mold on it when you pull it off, can it be wiped off just with a simple cloth on the on a cork? A lot of times. I know yeah. I've seen that I've opened bottles sometimes and there has been just a little bit of, you know, some sort of residue on top of the cork and it does tend to wipe away pretty easily. Um, and I think a lot of that never, is... Hmm? Personally, I never rub them off. I just leave it on there, put the corkscrew right through it. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I would too for my own consumption, but if I'm going to be presenting it to somebody else, I want to make sure that that all of that is is nice and clean. And, you know, it's just, it's part of the presentation. And sometimes if there's, you know, a little bit of like cork dust or, um, you know, just a little bit that gets on there, you know, just makes it look a little bit nicer when you have have a nice clean surface that you're pulling the cork from. And then you mentioned the mold on the labels, which this article had some great tips for cleaning the labels. Did you see the couple of the mixtures they said? I did. Have you ever tried any of this? I'm trying to remember what we used to do back in the store to clean off moldy, moldy bottles. I think we probably just sprayed them down with like Windex or some sort of... uh, bleach solution, which maybe was not the best thing for the bottle. But they do suggest using um, either a hydrogen peroxide solution or a weak vinegar solution. And I know that I use um, vinegar solutions for a lot of the cleaning that I do for like my my pickling experiments and my canning and my beer making and that kind of stuff because it is food friendly. You know, you're using something that's already a food product. I would just be When I read this, I I thought, ooh, be a little careful using vinegar around your wine because, you know, you wouldn't want those vinegar bacteria to get into your wine and start turning your wine into vinegar. Yeah, plus the aromas of the the vinegar and the hydrogen peroxide could really throw off the aromatics of the wine. Right. So they they do say take it out of your cellar before you you clean it down. So, you know, I don't think that they're suggesting clean it right before you're going to drink it because you would have those smells, but just as a, um, you know, as, as upkeep, <laughs> upkeep for your wine bottles. So they had a half cup white vinegar to one quart of water. And then the second thing was 3% hydrogen peroxide, spray it on kind of, let it sit 10, 15 minutes and then scrub yeah. it. But and I think that's really like the bad, regular strength of hydrogen peroxide that you get in the, you know, the big brown bottle. 
3% is regular hydrogen peroxide? I think it is. Yeah, I think it's just regular hydrogen peroxide. And then it said if it's really bad mold, half a cup white vinegar to one quart hydrogen peroxide. Forget the the water. Go right to the... the, uh, white wine vinegar, right? Oh, white vinegar. So I, I've never done that, but I thought it was a great tip that they, uh, they told you how to do it if you needed right. to. Yeah. I would personally, if it's just for my own consumption, I would probably just wipe them down or leave them messy. You know, I'd probably just wipe it off so that it wouldn't get in my wine, but we're not doing a whole lot of presenting wine bottles to, <laughs> to, to friends and family these days. So <laughs> I'm probably going to leave them messy. Yeah. So this article surprisingly was all about really the labels to clean yeah. the labels of the mold in the bot, not well, anything to do with the Well, glass is a whole lot easier to clean than the label, so. Yeah, and like you said, even even in retail, it's all about presentation. If you have uh, things that have been stored for a long time, you want to clean them up before you can sell them, exactly. just like in a restaurant, clean exactly. it up before you serve it. So it was an interesting yep. article. Yep. Yeah, and useful tips for if people are storing wine at home and have uh, have these questions. So that's what to do about your moldy wine bottle. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine, and you can find our past episodes at SoundCloud or iTunes. Next, we have an interesting article, Kim. We're going to go off for wine just for a little bit because we found this article about how to stock your liquor cabinet and basically what should be in it. And then I figure at the end, Kim, we could say how to stock your wine rack and what should be on that wine rack. So how would you like to stock him? I know you're a big mixed drink fan and you like to have a stocked bar at home. I so do. did you find this interesting? Anything? I, I did. Like to- you know, it, it starts out pretty simple, um, but I think tries to get the consumer to do a little thinking about the kinds of things that they like to drink so that you can have on the one hand, a well-stocked bar in case you want to try to make a new type of cocktail, but then also have it stocked well enough that if you have three or four favorites, you will always be able to make those cocktails. So I think that that is something that probably a lot of people are doing a little bit more of as we're all staying at home. You know, you're not going out to your favorite restaurant, sitting at the bar and having a cocktail. So why not learn how to make your favorite cocktails yourself from a fully stocked bar that you have at home? And I think they had a good approach to this because it's like, this is the basics, but then don't forget, get what you like too. Yeah, exactly. And, and they call that kind of the special things you should uh-huh. get. So, well, you should personalize it because, you know, we all have different tastes for what we like. So, you know, if someone is telling you to load up your bar with all these different, I don't know, flavored vodkas or something, and you're just not a vodka drinker, then that's not really going to work for you. So, I feel like they did start fairly simple and then gave some good ideas on how to expand from just the, the basics into uh, making it a little bit more to the things that that you know that you enjoy drinking. Yeah, so the basics, they recommended whiskey, which they, whiskey type, they wanted bourbon or rye. Now, bourbon is very popular. I suggest bourbon. Uh, Vodka, gin, white rum, and then tequila or mezcal. And I recommend tequila over the mezcal for basics. Right, and those are really just the bare bones. And what's, what's interesting about this list, I think, is that these are not necessarily spirits meant for drinking just on their own. These are for mixing. So like I thought it was interesting that for the whiskey, they recommend um, bourbon or rye, which generally are mixing whiskeys. And they didn't say have a bottle of scotch or have a bottle of Irish whiskey or have any of those other things that people 
generally tend to drink just on the rocks. So this group of liquors that they recommend here really are for making cocktails with. Yep. And then like, like you said, they, then they said, well, that's the basic. Now you want something special. Now you go to the scotch or the single malts right. or to maybe a, if you want tropical drinks, you go with an aged rum or a higher end rum, which right. I think is a good tip. You want to have something special, but I would tailor it to what you personally like too. If you're someone like me who likes sidecars, then you need to have a bottle of brandy in there <laughs> because that's what you need for that. Or if you like to drink margaritas, you know, you're going to need some sort of orange liqueur like a Grand Marnier or whatnot. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. So, yeah, so you have the basics and then figure out three or four different cocktails that you know that you enjoy drinking. Look up what goes into those cocktails and then make sure that you have those specialty spirits in your bar. The next category was good mixers. And it's always important to have good mixers around because they really are what makes a cocktail a cocktail. So uh, ideas to have are tonic water, seltzer water, um, juices, sodas, uh, all of those sort of fun flavored things that you want to add to your cocktail to make to make up the rest of the drink besides just the booze. Yeah, and I think the mixer stuff is a lot of times a regional thing. For, you know, for our, our area, I feel mixers, there's a lot of Bloody Mary mixes around mm-hmm. our area. So I would think that's a, a popular mixer to have, Yeah, especially if you have the vodka. That's right. And I then they mentioned ginger ale for mine because I like to yep, do ginger ale. bourbon and ginger ale. <laughs> they mentioned uh, specialty stuff like bitters, Vermouth, which is also very handy. More vermouth, I would suggest, than bitters, unless you're like, you, do you use bitters inside? Kyle? Yeah, I would, say, I would say go the opposite direction. I, we have yeah. like five different flavors of bitters in our liquor cabinet. Yeah, so you, well, yeah, <laughs> you, you're thinking, See, no, that's funny. Different. That's interesting. No, everyone's different. Well, you yeah. got to get both. Think if, if Kim comes there over, you need bitters. If I, I come mean, over, yeah. you, you need you, vermouth. You want something funky in your bar, <laughs> sort of weird bitters yeah. in there. And then what was the last? They mentioned maybe some fresh fruits or yep. garnishes should always have stuff on here for garnishes well and i thought actually last... that this was a really important category was citrus because yeah. other things fall into that category too and one thing that i always have in my refrigerator is sour mix because i guess i just I mean i like sour things so i like cocktails that have a sour component to them but they're also really important for the balance of the drink because just like wine you want your cocktail to have a balanced profile. So a little bit of sweetness and a little bit of sourness so that it's not just boozy. So I do feel that having a little bit of a sour component is very important for a lot of cocktails. Not necessarily a martini, but something like, you know, your margaritas are going to need that. And if you like whiskey sours or amaretto sours, you know, you're going to need those, that type of profile. And you can make your own, you know, there's lemon and lime and orange and there are recipes out there on the internet on how to make your own sour mix or your own margarita mix, or you can buy a better brand out there. But I, I feel like that is a very important thing for people to have in their fridge. Yeah, it's a good point because the sours, like you said, daiquiri, sour drinks, oh, yeah, uh, margaritas, it covers a lot, mm-hmm. covers a lot. And then they mentioned equipment, then- right? Was the last thing? Yep. So, you know, you need something if you're going to make a shaken drink, you need something to shake your drink up in. And it can be as simple as just two glasses that you put your your ice cubes and your ingredients in and you shake them back and forth. I use shakers that have a little uh, strainer in the lid. It's a little three part. There's a 
there's the body of the shaker and then there's a lid that has a strainer in it and then there's a little cap to that so you shake the whole thing up they recommend using a different type of shaker which i believe is called a boston shaker where it's a, a metal a large metal cup and then a smaller glass cup that goes on top of that and you just shake them back and forth the two of, between the two of those so you need something to shake um, you need some mixing glasses you need um, jiggers just so that you know the amounts that you are using but Honestly, you know, if you don't have any of those things, but you do have a liquid measuring cup or other types of measuring equipment at home, you can make do with those things. You know, I don't necessarily feel like people need tons and tons of equipment for making cocktails. What do you think about one of the essential equipment things they said, Kim, was a bar uh, spoon? Have you I ever don't, used a bar spoon? I don't spoon? have a bar spoon. Yeah. I, I have. I don't understand spoons. why people, <laughs> you know, even like uh, when they sell the specialty spoon to make a yeah. black and tan. It's a spoon. I don't know. I, I, yeah. Like you said, a measuring cup could be for a jigger. Or I, I just don't understand the spoon thing. But Yeah. I, I mean, there is value in having, I think, a long spoon. So if you need to mix something up in your shaker. But if you, like, I've got, I don't know, three or four ice cream spoons that, you know, the, the long yeah. ones that you eat ice cream sundaes with. I have a couple of those. So that's what I use for my cocktail spoons. I use those way more often than I do for cocktails than I do for ice cream. So, so yeah. that gets, that has double duty in my kitchen. So the, the last thing they mentioned for equipment, Kim, I thought was probably a little outdated, but they did mention uh, books, cocktail books to make sure you can make a drink. Someone comes over, Kim says, I want a psychi. I have no idea what the heck it is. I have a book. But then they said, well, now you can just basically use the internet and look right. up drinks, which I think everybody pretty much, you can put in any drink in the internet and find a million different versions Absolutely. of every drink. It's funny. That being said, I have a whole shelf full of, books, of right? mixology books. <laughs> it's fun. A lot of times I refer back to the classic books because these things yeah. that are on the internet are so, they change so many times. It's like, what's the original way to do that? You know? So yeah. you always go back to the original old time books. And it's interesting when you look at the old classic recipes that some of them are so much simpler than you assume they would, they would be. Like a margarita has like four ingredients. Yeah. Like, you know, like you were just saying, a daiquiri has like three ingredients and it doesn't taste like a Bartles and James. You know? yeah. <laughs> so some looking back in some of those books, you know, you can sometimes get a, a better idea of what the classic cocktail is supposed to taste like. Than, than this idea that we have in our in our heads. You know, we went through this whole, it feels like, you know, 15 years or even more where cocktails were so overly sweet and um, sugary that, you know, sometimes those classic cocktails really weren't that sweet. So when you look at the original recipe, you can get a, a better idea for the, the flavor profile there. One other thing that they did not mention to have in your uh, liquor cabinet for cocktails that I have to put in there is sparkling wine because I use bubbles in a lot of cocktails and it makes such a great floater on top of, of a lot of things that I think that that is something that is really, really valuable, especially if you keep them in little bottles. So if you buy 187s of Prosecco or of California sparkling wine and just have a few of those in your bar, and you want to make a sparkling sidecar or you want to make a spritz or something fun like that, you've already got them on hand. So I think um, I would add sparkling wine to the mixer category because that's something that obviously it's me. So I use, the, I use them an awful lot when I make cocktails. That's what we're going to talk about next, what to stock in your wine cabinet. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find more information about Mark at his website, franklinliquors.com, 
and more information about myself at vinitaswineworks.com. To find older episodes of The Wonderful World of Wine, please go to SoundCloud or iTunes and search The Wonderful World of Wine. All right, so we're talking about stocking your liquor cabinet so that you can make some classic cocktails, but also some of whatever your personal favorites might be. And as sort of an add-on to that, we wanted to say what we feel you should have as far as your, um, you know, your your wine cabinet. So people probably have, uh, you know, at least a little bit of a bar set up, but I don't think that too many people really have uh, much of a uh, a wine closet or a wine cellar. What's that stat that we always uh, talk about that most wine is purchased within two hours of when people are going to drink it, Mark? Yeah, and it's consumed within two hours. But I mean, the, the article was about stocking your liquor cabinet, but most people on the, the bar or their liquor cabinet have wine. So I thought, you know, we should really say, and I know we're going to probably differ in what you should, you know, stock at your house, but let's start with reds, Kim. What would you recommend? I, I was thinking two bottles of what would you recommend? people have for a red like in two different ca- bottles of red yeah just two reds you say these are these are what you should have so in your home. when it comes to red wine I, I feel like people there's so much out there for wine and there's so much variety and different things that people like you really should focus on having around what you like to drink so let that be us giving you <laughs> good advice to if you don't like these wines that we talk about then Don't keep them in your house, you know, drink what you like. But I think a lot of it, because I drink a lot of wine with food, a lot of the wines that I keep on hand tend to be wines that go with the types of dishes that I like to cook. But um, that's not how everybody drinks. So what I think that people should have on hand for uh, red wine, I think you should do something light and then something heavy, because that will give you a little bit of variety for whatever you happen to feel like on a particular day, or if you want to have it with a particular dish or not or just on its own so we're on the same page yeah yeah same page now what they are light and heavy should depend on like you said what you like and it's interesting you said that because a lot of times people will be shopping for a party and they'll say what should i get and i said well get mostly what you drink so when no one drinks anything and you have leftovers you're happy with what's left over right you don't I want love to, that advice yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, honestly that's what you, in, a lot of times people don't think of that like yeah you know why should i get that guy you know two bottles and, and he doesn't drink it and i'm going to be stuck with it so yeah so a light red a heavy red same approach with white skim a light white and like a full bodied white my approach for whites is a little different i tend to go with a dry white and an off dry white so i like to have a little bit of something sweet around, not super duper sweet, but I like to have a little bit of an off dry, slightly sweet wine with spicy dishes. So that is something that I almost always will have in my house. I'll either have an off dry Riesling um, or I'll have uh, maybe a Chenin Blanc that has a little bit of sweetness to it. Um, And that's another example of those, that thing where I like to have wines around that I pair with certain dishes. So off dry white to go with spicy food. And then I like a really dry white as well. So um, I tend to find that Sauvignon Blanc fits that bill really, really well. And it's also excellent to cook with. So, you know, if you're stuck and you got a recipe that calls for, oh, you need a half a cup of white cooking wine, Sauvignon Blanc will almost always fit the bill for cooking wine. Yeah, it's good advice. And then you you might have someone, a lot of people have a sweet palate. So, so something with a little bit more sweetness to it, be good advice to have, I feel. Mm-hmm. What about rosé? Yes or no? Should people have a rosé in the oh, house? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. well, you time. like it. Because <laughs> we like it. Yeah. So That I mean, also can substitute in for 
that dry white, especially if you've got a really light rosé on hand and you have um, maybe somebody coming over in your social circle that likes white wines and maybe you don't have any more white wine on hand, but that rosé can really fit into that really, really well. To like a sweet and a dry, you think? or just uh, I'd stick basic, mostly with dry. Basic. Okay. Yep. And you mentioned in, in the liquor cabinet, have sparkling, I'm sure, also on the wine shelf, Absolutely. you want sparkling. So Prosecco or Cava. Many purposes. Yep. And it never hurts to have a nice bottle of champagne around for those special occasions that maybe you have a, you know, I don't know, an emergency really good thing happen to you and you need to have a bottle of bubbly on. Or you just need a drink. Or right? you just put it really up. Mimosa. What about vermouth? Vermouth we mentioned in the liquor cabinet, but people don't consider vermouth wine, which it is. Do you suggest? Good point. Stocking vermouth? I mean, I would have vermouth in the liquor cabinet or cocktails. Um, you know, it's you, their dry vermouth is import, an important element for dry martinis. And there are a lot of cocktails that are based on whiskey that do use red vermouth. So it's, I think it's a good thing to have in your liquor cabinet, uh, both white and red vermouth. Probably white is more important than red, but it can be handy to have both on. Yeah. And I think for the listeners with the wine that you're stocking, don't be afraid to be seasonal with it. You know, this time of year, maybe have a sangria, winter time, put in a little bit heavier red, maybe the sparkling, more Prosecco for mixed mm-hmm. drinks, and then mm-hmm. the winter, more traditional for celebrating special times. So yeah. what about But tools, you don't have Jim? to be restricted to only, you know, a couple of kinds of white and a couple of kinds of red. You know, you might want to experiment with, well, I know I like Cabernet, so I'm going to have a couple of different Cabernets on hand. Or maybe you eat a lot of barbecue over the summer, so have a few reds that go particularly well with barbecue, like Zinfandel or Cote de Rhone. Fun to have a bunch of different things. And then it improves your palate too, because you might be opening something new and experimenting with that grape variety that maybe you don't have a lot of familiarity with. So, you know, it's a fun way to work in learning about wine uh, into kind of your everyday if you decide to, um, you know, open something new to go with a particular meal. And then you can see oh, this is how it goes with the food, or hey, maybe this doesn't go particularly well with this dish, but you're always going to be learning whenever you're tasting wine and, and drinking it with a meal. So I, I find that to be one of the really fun, fascinating things about wine. Personally. And then just finishing up, Kim, tools for the wine shelf or the wine cabinet, corkscrew. You definitely need decanta. something to open that bottle with. Yep. So a corkscrew. Um, I don't feel that people necessarily need a decanter, but they're, they're it looks good. Pretty. It looks good yeah. on the shelf. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one thing that I absolutely could not live without in my wine drinking life in my house is a chiller sleeve. So I have these things that I keep in my freezer. I have three of them and they are like ice packs that are shaped like the bottle, like a bottle of wine. Um, they have Velcro on them. Some of them have Velcro, not all of them do. And you keep them in the freezer. And when you have a bottle of white wine or even a bottle of red that's too warm and you want to chill it down just a little bit, or if you want to keep your bottle of white cold, you just put this frozen sleeve around the bottle and it keeps your bottle cold. And I use mine literally every day. Maybe not every day, every other day. My wine never gets warm. Your wine never gets warm? never gets warm. Don't need that. <laughs> I, I don't turn my AC on a whole lot. So oh, <laughs> my house is very warm. So my yeah. wine needs to be kept cold. Any other um, tools that you like to keep around? I'm very simplistic when yeah, it comes to wine, stuff. wine glasses, like, you know, basic wine glasses and a corkscrew and a wine chiller. Like those are my things. Just let me open it. 
if the cork screw doesn't have a knife, I like a foil cutter because I want to get the thing off real oh, quick yeah. so I can get to the cork. So, but that's it. Like you said, basic stuff. We're basic. A that's lot simple. simpler than the liquor cabinet stock <laughs> to stock your wine. So that's yeah, why you we... Yeah, you can really simplify your, uh, your wine collection. But, yes, uh, a lot easier. That's why everybody should be drinking wine. That's why we talk about it all the time. And it's a great time of year for a refreshing bottle of white wine or rosé. So, stock up. Thank you for listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. We'd like any questions or comments, please find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine, and we'll talk to you next week. Cheers. Bye. 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 Bye.